Well, hello everyone. My name is Matt Troop, and I serve as CEO of Conway Regional Health System. And welcome to this edition of our One Team One Promise podcast. As we have in other episodes here recently, we are continuing uh, our dialogue with our medical staff, uh, medical staff leaders, key medical staff members, new medical staff members, just as a as a way for our community and, and you to get to know uh, that group a little better. And today, I'm privileged to have in studio with me, uh, Dr. Darren Freeman. Hello, Dr. Freeman. Hey, Matt. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for, for being here. Glad we're getting a chance to do this um, and uh, introduce uh, you all to, to Dr. Freeman. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been on staff? Uh, where'd you come from? That kind of stuff. Okay. Um, so I've been on staff at Conway Regional six years now. Yes. Uh, February was the six-year mark for me, so I uh, just kind of clicked over there. Um, I originate from Clarksville. That's where I grew up, went to mm-hmm. high school, did all all the things there, um, and then went on to college at Arkansas Tech, which is just up the road yeah. uh, from here in Russellville, and then did medical school at UAMS. Mm-hmm. I was there, I graduated in 2008 from medical school. Uh, then did residency training in Fort Smith. Uh, that was from 2008 to 2011, um, in family medicine there. Yeah. And yeah. so, and then went back home to Clarksville actually to practice wow. in my hometown. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, maybe a little known fact, I mean, obviously you and I know this, but, right. uh, Dr. Freeman was the first physician that, uh, we brought on board during my tenure here. So I think I'd been on the job for a couple of months. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, sort of I, like pitching a perfect game in your first well, outing, right. you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I would agree. Right. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if only they all went that way, uh, that would have no, been that's awesome. a complete joke, by the way. No, no, I, absolutely true. I, you know, it was funny. Uh, I was thinking about this on the way over the way physician recruitment tends to go. We, we have various means by which we get interest. You know, we have a physician recruiter and, and pretty much in addition to some other responsibilities, all she does is really call doctors, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, either try to recruit them here or. Uh, get them to practice more here, whatever the case is. And, um, but, but you were a little different, weren't you? How I did was. you find out about us? I was. Yeah, actually, um, yeah, as you said, very kind of rare, I think, from the medical staff office perspective. But uh-huh. I really cold emailed uh, the medical staff office. Um, and at the time, uh, interestingly, you may or may not remember this, but there was a little bit of a transition happening in the medical staff office. Uh-huh. So my first email... Um, didn't land. I think it was going to the person that was kind of leaving that role. Um, and so it took a little bit, you know, to kind of like get, make the connection, but, um, really just, yeah, a cold email kind of inquiring about, uh, hospitalist positions that, that were open. Yeah. And it, it was funny because at the time that would have been uh, February of 2016. So that's right. six months, seven months before, uh, Baptist opened in town. And so we yes. were very concerned about you know, do we need more hospitalists or less? I mean, right. a fairly good argument to say we didn't need more hospitalists. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but, uh, you know, we, we decided to talk to you and, and, and really and truly to, to have somebody um, as engaged and as, as good as Dr. Freeman is and uh, has really been a blessing. And so thank uh, you for that saying that. Glad, glad we had an opportunity to visit and <laughs> for take sure. that, take that for the sure. next step. Yeah. But um, let's, let's go back even a little bit further. I mean, what, what got you into medicine? Why, why'd you pursue that? Yeah. Um, it, it's a really good story. I mean, uh, 
frankly, growing up, uh, you know, kind of middle school, junior high, high school, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my life. I think that's true of a lot of kids of mm-hmm. that age. But um, now that I have some of my own, I, I know that for a certainty yeah. that it's it's true. But uh, I was, you know, always good at math and science. I was into sports. You know, I played every sport that I could. Um, so, you know, my mom was a teacher growing up, thought about coaching and teaching, um, you know, and then, you know, kind of as I, as I moved along through school, getting into more math and science stuff, it's like, oh, maybe engineering, you know? Yeah. And so actually, uh, had pre-registered for all my classes, uh, at Arkansas Tech for my first semester in, in engineering, you know, so kind of. It was all very basic prerequisite stuff, but that was going to be my major and try to go that route with it. Um, And then an interesting thing happened to me. Um, So backtracking a little bit, growing up, uh, kind of lived for a time in this certain neighborhood there in my hometown. And one of our local physicians was in that neighborhood. They lived there. And he was young, kind of new to town, uh, had a young son that was just, I think, three, four years younger than I was. They had a great basketball goal at their house. (laughs) Uh, We were up there a lot, Uh uh, me and the friends in the neighborhood, playing around, kind of got to know the family that way and just, you know, kind of became family friends with them. And so, you know, flash forward to uh, graduating high school, literally kind of on the football field after my high school graduation, that physician comes over to me and says, hey, I I want to kind of grab some lunch with you sometime this summer. I just have some things I want to talk to you about, about your future, about your career in the future. Yeah. It was busy, a lot going on. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, sure, we'll do that. And, you know, we did. We did later that year, and he just came out right with it and said, hey, you know, I've kind of watched you. I've watched you grow up. Uh, watched kind of you know what you're about and know you're a great he, he, student. He wasn't talking about your layup. Or, no, uh, he absolutely was not shot. talking about my layup or <laughs> you know dunking skills on a seven seven foot goal or anything. Uh, but um, he just said, "Hey, I think you would be, I think you would be huh. a great physician." Wow, that's kind of how it came out. And I gave him every excuse in the world why I thought that was a bad idea. You know, yeah. I said, you know, I just that seems like a lot of school. That seems like a lot of commitment. Uh, I don't think I'm smart enough to do that, uh, those kinds of things. Um, But he said, you know, I hear all of that. And he said, I've been through it. And I can tell you, you you know, you you can do it. Um, And so he actually suggested that I come shadow him for a few days that summer. And just if you like it, great. If you think it's good, you know, great. If not, you haven't lost anything. Yeah. And uh, so did that. And really, after the first day of shadowing him. Uh, I was just, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. It was just sort of one of those aha moments of just, you know, it was a great, great way to, you know, use your brain, help people, you know, um, and, and there's, you know, just, a an enjoyment of getting to know people and, and interacting with them, but also, you know, you're a thinking man, you're, you're using your brain to, to solve problems and fix things. And that's, that's exciting. So went home. The next day called, yeah, this was in the era where you couldn't do anything online, right? right? You yeah, had to physically yeah. call places. So the, the, uh, and the phone was connected to a wall. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was wired and everything. <laughs> uh, so called and, you know, kind of changed my major um, to biology, you know, changed classes, 
never looked back really from there. Um, just wow. pursued it and um, ended up you know, like kind of between high school and, and college and then uh, into college, you know, getting a job at a hospital there in my hometown uh, and just, you know, kind of learning the ropes, started out as a nurse's aide. Yeah. I worked in the lab a little bit, just kind of trying to get some healthcare experience and really yeah. learn what it was all about. And, um, you know, loved every step of that process. And, yeah. and again, just never looked back really from there. When we, now you didn't come quite as far as Greg did. When we were talking to Greg, yeah. he, his first job at Conway Regional was as a janitor. Okay. So, <laughs> well, and you know, I didn't, you're right. I did start out as a nurse's aide. I think that's, and I can see that in Greg, and I didn't know that about him, yeah. but I can see where it really does give you an awesome perspective on what the care in a hospital is like yeah. and you know, how how much of a team effort it really is. It takes everyone doing all those jobs to yeah. take care of the patient. So, yeah, yeah I can see that. What, what do you think that, that physician saw in you? I mean, did is it just... Man, I don't know. And I, you know... He, he must have known you were a good student. And I, had, he did, of course. I think he knew that. And, you know, interacting with with his son, you know, he was quite a bit younger. And But, you know, we, we always tried to be kind. We always tried to be, you know, inclusive of him. And, and um, I, you know, I I really don't know. Huh. I would really like to know what, yeah, what cool. he – I don't know if it was just a God thing, frankly, of, yeah. you know, kind of – he, he being directed that way in, in some way, but, you know, I ended up when I moved back to Clarksville after residency, you know, I joined his practice. Okay. I, I was, was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were partners, you yeah. know, which was sort of like the, the dream fulfilled in a way yeah. of doing that. Um, so that was really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, and I've stayed in touch with him over the years and, yeah. and, um, yeah, it's, that's just been a, a great relationship I feel nice. like. And, and just one that, you know, I've tried to emulate, I've tried to spot that in people yeah. along the way too. I think it's just one of those things where, you know, you, you kind of pay that forward and yeah. try to do replicate that again for someone in the future. Yeah. Now I should have mentioned this before and it just it dawned on me uh, while you were speaking, but you know, you are a hospitalist. Yes. So right. a family practice residency, your specialty is family, family medicine. Right. So did, did you, did you and the physician you're speaking of was also family medicine right um, right did you so you always knew that from day one family medicine was a route you wanted to go and, and hospitalist care or? well not the hospitalist piece not at all i i didn't realize that would be how things would end up for me um you know to me in my hometown where i grew up you know if you weren't a family physician you know you weren't a physician in my right. eyes you know uh, i mean being being a family physician was everything you took care of all problems you took all comers you took care of babies you took care of grandparents you yeah. took care of everyone and you, um, you delivered babies yes yeah. did uh, did all of that colonoscopies absolutely yeah. yeah took care of our hospitalized patients you know yeah. uh nursing home wherever they were that's where we were yeah you know? um so uh you know doing all of that um I did that you know for about two years when i got back to my hometown and I really felt myself being drawn to the hospital. Mm. At the time there, the hospital had kind of a quasi-hospitalist program. They were trying to help their medical staff uh, with with weekend call and coverage. And so they would um, use 
locums and, and local docs to, to cover the weekends. So kind of cover all the hospitalized patients, sort of give the local medical staff a break from rounding on their own patients yeah. on the weekends. And so being young and having student loans to pay back and all these things, <laughs> I would do some of that. And I just enjoyed that more. I could just, I found myself drawn to yeah. doing that more. Yeah. Um, you know, and even on my own patients that were hospitalized, I enjoyed the pace and the rhythm yeah. of the hospital better than the clinic. Now, a hospitalist, uh, for those that don't know, um, imply and mean that you work only in the hospital. Right. Um, and so um, where a family practice physician typically would be your primary care doc who you go see for your cold sniffles, your annual wellness, you know, yes. whatever. Um, a hospitalist is just working in the hospital. And we were talking actually right. a little bit about this before we got on the air, but um, wh what's your typical day like as a hospitalist? Yeah, that's a good question. Or is there a typical day? Well, there, there is. I mean, the, the day does have a certain, you know, rhythm to it. Um, you know, things in the hospital can change quickly. And so that can interrupt that rhythm um, anytime. But typically, you know, get to the hospital uh, seven o'clock, somewhere in that range of time log onto the computer, spend, you know, anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, kind of what we call pre-rounding, you know, yeah. looking at the chart, writing down any information that's relevant, you know, um, and kind of just ordering some things to kind of get the day started, get the ball rolling. And then really it's going out to the floors, to the ICU, seeing patients, talking with the nursing staff, um, you know, kind of doing, doing our thing there, seeing, seeing and examining patients. Uh, and, and that can take anywhere from, you know, three hours, four hours. Um, and then there'll be inevitably admissions coming in and seeing those new patients and then sitting down and writing notes. Um, so it's a full day. I mean, yeah. we're there, you know, 10, 11, 12 hours, just kind of depending on what's needed. Yeah. Um, and, and a seven day on t right. typically, mo at least at Conway regional for Correct. the average, uh, using air quotes here. A hospitalist it's seven days on and off right that's right yeah. yeah and and that's just for continuity's sake you know trying yeah. to give the patient you know uh, most patients are going to admit and discharge within a one week time frame and so trying to minimize the turnover and the changeover of a physician seeing the patient yeah what, what do you like most about your job um Right now, I mean, I, I, I teach residents now, so I'm yeah. involved with our family medicine residency program. So um, that's really the most enjoyable, I would say, is working with the residents and teaching them and kind of seeing them develop and grow. That's fun. Yeah. Um, I, I just really like taking care of our hospitalized patients because you have a patient there that's potentially vulnerable. They're, they're sick. There's, there are things going on. And, and the change and the impact you can make over a short period of time mm -hmm. is satisfying. You know, you yeah. can see those changes take place. Yeah. Um, and, and you're a part of that and, and, and that's nice. And, and it's a short attention span really to yeah. do that, you know, in, in a matter of a few days, you can see those changes. Yeah. Um, you know, on the, on the outpatient side, I feel like that just takes more patience, you know, yeah. and maybe that's, that's a, a downside uh, for me on that is just, it just takes a little bit longer to see some of those changes and effects that you, that yeah. you initiate. What, what, uh, what do you like least or maybe frustrate you the most? Um, yeah, I think, um, gosh, really hard question. Cause there are several <laughs> things, uh, but I think hopefully I, not goofball administrators. Are no, no, no. I, I think probably every physician out there would say, um, you know, a lot 
of things getting in between me and the patient, you yeah. know, yeah. um, uh, mostly insurance companies and prior authorization for this type of stay or that type of stay or, you know, what I think the patient needs in terms of when they leave the hospital and what insurance is going to cover and kind of trying to reconcile those two things. I think that's one of the more frustrating aspects of the job. Yeah. Just in all the <clears throat> information and data you have to collect, record, put in a record. I mean, there's a, there's a famous saying or not famous, but frequent uh, saying in hospitals that it, if you don't document it, it didn't happen. It's not right. reality, even though you may, Right. know it to the bottom of your heart uh, unless you put it in there and, yeah. and can verify it through some lab test or some other validation. And just that's a lot to keep up with. It is. It is. It is frustrating when you spend one and a half or two times the amount of time with the patient's chart than you do get to spend with the patient. You yeah. know, I think that's that leads to decreased yeah. provider satisfaction, you know, when you kind of have all that time that you have to spend screen time looking at the chart as opposed to face to face with the patient. Cause yeah. despite what, you know, people think kind of going back, talking about origins of why we do this. I yeah. mean, we, we do this to take care of people. It's enjoyable for me to interact with people, get to know them, um, you know, take care of them, serve them. And so that, that can be frustrating. It can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, anything that draws you away from that, that bedside and, um, right. Uh, like you say, it's it's the number one irritant, you know, uh, and, and medical records, right? Just the right. electronic medical record. Yeah. As good as I think ours is, it's serviceable and good. And, you know, but for sure. I haven't met a whole lot of doctors that say, I love my medical record. You know, right. I love my <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, I think those of us that have the perspective on it, you know, pen and paper, some hybrid between a paper chart and electronic chart, those were not better. You know, yeah. I mean, every one of them has their... Yeah. kind of, you know, warts, as I would say. I mean, yeah. they just have their things that aren't good about them. So um, I think it's it's the best that's possible. Yeah. It can always be better. I, I can remember the day, and I'm, I'm sure you can as well, um, but where I would round on a unit, and I was observing these two nurses talking, and they were looking at a, a written order, mm -hmm. and they had to consult a third nurse who – um, was the only one on the whole unit that could interpret this doctor's right. handwriting. She had, she <laughs> yes. had some yes. special yes. super secret skill uh, on interpreting his, his yes. you know, handwriting. That's a classic tale that will be lost kind of on the next generation. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. that, that just won't be the case. Um, yeah, I, I distinctly remember, you know, back home in Clarksville when I was practicing there and one of my partners, and I have good handwriting, and I don't think I ever had people really struggle to read mine, but this this one of my partners he had just the absolute best handwriting i mean it came out looking like calligraphy i mean yeah. it was just like wow. he was the atypical physician in terms of you know physician handwriting and but he stood out you know everybody yeah. else <laughs> kind of struggled yeah, uh, with yeah. that so yeah uh, yeah, be a good bid a good class i guess for sure uh, back in back in the day but uh, -huh. uh and now anymore it's typing skills right. uh, that probably makes you more efficient um, now, you serve in leadership. I uh, should have mentioned this as well earlier. Dr. Uh, Freeman is on our leadership committee uh, with our ACM, which is our co-management model with our doctors. And prior to that, you were chair of, eight of the medicine committee. Correct. correct? Yes. Okay. I did that for four years and have been on leadership council for about a year now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So um, talk to us about that from a, from a cultural standpoint. Obviously, you know, Clarksville didn't have that kind of a model there. Right. Um, and just the, the, the cultural difference between, you know, maybe what you've experienced or seen at other hospitals relative to Conway Regional. Yeah, this, it's, it's such a unique thing. Um, and I think that gets said a lot maybe about the ACM. But, I, you know, I have the perspective to tell folks that it truly, truly is. Um, you know, to be um, that involved with, um, you know, issues that affect the medical staff, that issues affect issues that affect the, you know, the hospital uh, as a whole, I think, um, is, is really a privilege. It's, it's a, it's a thing that, you know, you, you go somewhere else to practice, you, you probably won't have yeah. that much involvement, that much say. Um, and so that's, that's refreshing and that's good. And I think, you know, physicians being involved in leadership is, is just a natural fit. And I think it's one of those partnerships that, you know, as, as health systems grow and as, as things move along, it's just, it's needed, you know, you need yeah. that physician help and guidance and partnership engagement. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the, the audience that will hear this podcast, I'm sure is a mix, we don't ever exactly know who all hears it, but um, some that work within the hospital, some that, that don't at all, but just to pull back the curtain a little bit in most environments, um, you know, you have physicians who kind of work on um, one economic model. They, they, a lot of them are private practice. Right. Um, they, um, don't work for in the sense that your average employee works for the organization. Right. <laughs> and part of that is, you know, you're a highly skilled labor that has choices to go where you want to go and you're driving the ship. So, yes. um, and so, you know, environments like and platforms like the ACM are intended to bring us together instead of having two separate, almost competing, you know, sometimes not always seeing eye to eye right. groups. And that was my experience in the past, um, you know, and that was everybody's experience really into this day. Um, you know, administration sort of had their, you know, huddle and their table and their place of meeting and, and topics yeah. and agenda. Medical staff had their own. And, and so getting those two to kind of meet and, and you know, have a joint venture, a joint agenda, yeah. um, I think so really smart thing. It's just a really smart model. And I think we've seen it play out for us here as being oh, really yeah. successful. Yeah. I, I th you know, in prior <laughs> worlds or prior committees that we've had, you know, we, we try to push and ad administration tries to push an agenda topic. Maybe it's a joint commission accreditation thing, or it's some new initiative that we're being required to do from Medicare or from some other, you know, third party. And, in in a prior life, the medical staff is brought up to speed in that 30, 45 minutes, hour, maybe sometimes, hopefully not longer meeting where we're trying to, to tell you about this to get you bought in. And in an ACM model, you know, you've you've had lead time on that issue right. from the beginning. You're you're aware of it. Um, so when we're making decisions about things we have to implement, it, yes. it's a lot more smooth uh, than than previous. Yeah, it, it takes that us versus them. Yeah. sort of natural dichotomy and then it's just like it's just us you know yeah. we're just we're all working together for yeah. a common goal um and that just naturally works better it, it reduces friction not uh, that there's no friction right. but that yeah. it reduces it like yeah. you're saying yeah. yeah yeah um let's talk a little bit uh about about you personally so what do you like to do for fun 
Oh gosh. When I have time, um, like to golf, um, like to do that with my son. That's, yeah. that's probably one of my favorite things to do. Just spend time with family in general. Um, my wife and I have, we have a blended family, yeah. so we have five children. Um, so really Ooh. downtime is just going to their events or, yeah. you know, spending time with them. Spanning um, an age from? Um, yeah, 18 okay. all the way down to eight. Wow. Um, I'm getting tired just yeah, thinking about that. Yeah, you, you kind of well, I, feel I, my pain on this I a do, little bit. I do. Yeah, our youngest is 15 and yeah. he's home, but that's yeah. the other ones are out. There you yeah, go. Yeah. yeah, but it's... Um, it's good. I mean, we have four of the five are, you know, in that teenage age range. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's fun and interesting and always something going on. <laughs> um, we uh, we like to take trips together. Um, so that's something fun that we get to do. Trout fishing. That's a fun thing that I like to do when I have the time. Up so on the White River. go to the White River. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have discovered that uh, here this, just this past year. And... Uh, Cooked it fresh right out, right yeah. out of the river, and I mean, yeah. it was awesome. It was phenomenal. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's few things better, yeah. I mean, that I've found. It's just relaxing, and it's a getaway. Yeah. Cell phone service isn't great up that way. Yeah. You know, it's just getaway. Yeah. 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 Now, you mentioned your mom was a teacher. Yeah. Was, was your dad in ministry? My dad's in ministry. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, my, my parents are... You know, the reason I'm sitting here, obviously, yeah. today in, in more ways than one, of course. But um, so, yeah, that that sort of growing up in that household where, you know, service was the expectation. Yeah. Um, you know, your your life and our schedule and our everything was not about ourselves. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, you know, it was about other people, um, you know, observe like I mean, just my mom grading papers in the in the downtime my mom you know going to pick up folks that can't make it to church on their own can't drive you know before church on sundays yeah uh you know um always being there when the doors were open uh for church you know those kinds of things uh and when you're a kid you don't want to do that every time right you know uh but you know looking back on that that's extremely character developing yeah and you just your priorities yeah are different um, what, what subject did, did she teach? Uh, so she taught business. Oh, so wow. keyboarding, accounting, okay. uh, you know, at the high school level, career orientation, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Now you have some, some other interests professionally. Um, I think today you were telling me that you yeah. were involved with hospice. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about that. What got you interested in that? Um, yeah. So kind of going back again to, to Clarksville, when I joined that group there, uh, right out of residency, the, the senior member of the group, uh, was kind of working, he was kind of semi-retired and working part-time, but, um, he was the local hospice medical director at the time the department of health had a hospice program. Um, and he was their medical director and, you know, me being the new guy, you know, when he needed to take time off and, and, you know, get away or needed somebody to cover call for him or something, he would ask me to do it. And so that's really how I got into it. Uh, and, and again, kind of fell in love with that. Uh, and as, as I worked more in the hospital setting, you know, it sort of, my eyes got open to this need that was out there, you know, for, for patients that are facing serious illness, um, you know, facing a terminal illness per se. And, you know, they, they maybe aren't getting the support and the care and, 
the approach to care that they need. And so that, that really excited me, uh, in terms of it being a ministry, in terms of it being a, a way to reach more people. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you may be able to recall some of these, uh, statistics, but it seems like I, I recall when we've looked at something called readmission. So for those that don't know, um, our readmission percentage is something we look at pretty closely. All hospitals do, but, uh, and that's the percentage of patients that have to come back to the hospital after they're discharged for whatever reason they could, they could be admitted for heart failure, go home and right. break their hip. And that, that counts as a readmission. Unfortunately, right. it's, it's kind of a, a negative number. You want that number to be low. Right. Uh, but a lot of readmissions that we have are related to hospice. Are they not? I mean, maybe not, they're not, they're not in hospice, right. but they're, but yeah, they should be. Well, I think, um, what we see a lot of now. So even when I first began kind of in hospice and was involved, you know, you, you saw a lot more, um, malignancy. You saw a lot more cancer type related diagnoses in hospice. Yeah. You know, and and as time has gone along, what we see a lot more of uh, for patients that really qualify for hospice are these chronic conditions that are out there, heart failure, emphysema, COPD. And so that's where you get those readmissions a lot is you, you have a chronic condition that's advancing. You know, yeah. it's it's getting worse over time rather than better. Uh, there are exacerbations that happen with those chronic conditions that require hospital stay. And so that's, that is one of those times in which, um, conversations might shift a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, where, okay, the patient's been in, this is their fourth admission for this problem in the last six months. You know, perhaps it's time to, to talk about what our goals are, you know, what are we shooting for here? Yeah. Um, is there a better way, you know, to get care for this patient at it's home? Im it's important for people to know. I mean, I think back, I know, several years ago when hospice really first came onto the scene or at least became something that was talked about a lot. The typical expectancy was three to six months, but I'm sure you have patients on hospice that have been on there for over a year. Is that that's, accurate? That's absolutely accurate. Yeah. I mean, the, the Medicare regulation still says, of course, that, uh, you know, in order for a patient to qualify for hospice, they have to have a condition for which, you know, the attending physician, yeah. proposes or suspects that the prognosis is six months or less. But, um, you know, what we find on hospice for several of the diagnoses that people are admitted to hospice for, there's a survival benefit for being yeah. on it. So in yeah. other words, the patients live longer Yeah, getting that care, um, you know, cause it's a high touch care. It's yeah. lots of visits to the home, lots of management of symptoms, you know, kind of interventions that aren't delayed by days and days or weeks and weeks. We're yeah. kind of on top of things. So, um, you know, yeah, we, we see patients live past that, you know, six month mark frequently. Yeah. Um, and you know, they get good care and, and they're in their home setting and they're, you know, surrounded by people they love. And those are all good things. Those are good outcomes. Yeah. No matter what, you know, conversations now while you're, you know, you can think about it intellectually and you yeah. can sort of imagine, you know, things and, and have ideas about it with loved ones, I think are really important. Yeah. Um, understandably not the most uplifting conversations, sure. you know? Um, but I think so necessary and, you know, we, we, um, we can't live our lives without thinking about the way that we, you know, we'll leave our lives. And yeah. so I think, yeah. um, you know, we, we have to consider all of that and yeah. have those 
crucial conversations. Yeah, and and do that in in conjunction with your with your physician. Uh, Absolutely, is, is is exactly the way to go. You bet. Now, the difference between palliative care and hospice. Yeah. Uh, explain that to, to us. So, um, you know, if you, if you sort of think about it like a nesting diagram, the bigger circle would be palliative care. Yeah. Okay. So palliative care is care for anyone with a serious illness. Uh, and it is care that's directed at symptom management, uh, coordination of care, uh, sort of a multidisciplinary approach to, mm-hmm. to a patient's care. So... You know, maybe a classic example would be a patient that does have a malignancy and they're getting, you know, chemotherapy, radiation, treatment in that sense, um, but they have pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're needing some increased care in the home. Uh, you know, there are some other issues that are going on, and that's where palliative care or a palliative care physician can be helpful to mm-hmm. manage that pain, help coordinate with social work and a chaplain to help support the patient at yeah. home. Uh, and give them a better quality of life while they're going through, you know, the actual active treatment for the problem. So the the, the problem isn't something maybe that you're trying to cure necessarily, uh, but it is. So it's chronic and it's not not going away. Is that fair? Yeah, I, and and again, you know, palliative care um, is more inclusive yeah. than than what we give it credit for. So again, I'll, let me give you yeah. another example that might um, make it clearer. So. When you go into the emergency room and you have severe right lower quadrant pain and nausea and vomiting and the ER doctor does an exam and says you have acute appendicitis yeah, uh, or does a CT and sees that. Well, they call the surgeon and, you know, they do some things and that's all directed at fixing the problem, right? Yeah. yeah. But they also give you fluids and they give you some IV medications to control your symptoms. Mm-hmm. That's palliative care. Yeah. They've done nothing to fix the problem, yeah. but they're palliating the symptoms. Yeah, yeah. So everyone does palliative care all the time. They just don't think of it in those terms. That's a great way to put that. Yeah, I hadn't, hadn't thought about that. So I shouldn't be concerned if I go to the ER with appendix and they're talking about palliative <laughs> care for me. No, they yeah. won't say it in those okay. terms. Right, good, but, good. but yeah, they'll be palliating <laughs> your symptoms. That's right, yeah. Uh, so then, cool. yeah, to finish that thought, I mean, the, the smaller circle then is hospice. Yeah. So hospice is really specialized care for those patients that truly have a terminal illness where we think the life expectancy is six months or less. Okay. Uh, Focus and kind of efforts are still the same. We're still focused on symptom management. We're still focused on quality of life, yeah. coordination of care, working with multidisciplinary teams of people, social worker, nursing, chaplain. Um, you know, it's just more specialized. It's more focused, and it's kind of time-limited, really. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever asked you this question before we've ever talked about it, but how do you think we do from a training perspective for for residents and for physicians today about palliative and hospice care. Cause you know, you're, you're, you're trying to save lives. You're trying to diagnose, you're d- right. trying to treat. And so, um, while throughout your training, I'm sure you you've had to deal with death and dying and planning for all of that. For um, sure. some physicians are just better at this than others. And so what, what do you, what do, what do you, how do you think we're doing as an industry? Yeah, I think as an industry, we're not doing great. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I hate to say that, Um, I think it's reflective of our society, you know, uh, I think we as a society don't confront this issue as directly as we should. Uh, I don't think we put, um, 
our mouth is not on it. And so our money is certainly not in it. You know, <laughs> I think that's one thing that is pretty clear uh, that we're not talking about it a lot. And therefore there's not a lot of effort put toward it. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's growing though. And I think I've seen it change, you know, in the last few years where I think there's a broader acceptance of, of some of these issues. There's yeah. a broader acceptance of hospice in general as a, you know, as a means to, to provide care at the end of life. Um, but you know, I think there's more to be done. You yeah. know, I think training wise, I think it is a generational thing. And, and I do think medical schools are including more, you know, hospice and palliative care in their curricula, which is helping, you know, cause you have medical students and residents kind of coming out already with a little bit of backing and yeah. some ideas around this, uh, issue, but, um, it's, it's definitely grassroots and it's slow and it, it, you know, um, it's going to take time. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine as a, as a hospitalist, it can be a, a challenge because you're seeing this patient at the worst of their worst and, you know, knowing when, when do you make that call of yes. hospice versus palliative care versus this patient's going to be fine. I mean, I, yes. uh, your, your experience and training, I know tells you a lot about that, that right. kind of thing, but it can be challenging. And, um, you know, one of the things that is, as you said before, I think that one of the advantages, you know, that the primary care physicians out there have with their patients is they have that rapport. They have that relationship. Yeah. They have that kind of base of trust with the patient uh, and the family that, you know, as a hospitalist, that's a little bit of a, of a hill to climb for us. You know, we're, yeah. we're meeting the patient, you know, we may have known them for a few days yeah. or, you know, even a couple of weeks at the most, but um, you know, the primary care physicians certainly have that advantage and they have the time advantage, you know, mm-hmm. it's a different conversation when you're, right. you know, sitting, you know, in, in the physician's office and, you know, you're in your own clothes and all these kinds of things that sort of make that conversation more comfortable having yeah. that conversation with a patient really sick in a hospital gown in a hospital room with yeah. a physician that they're less familiar with. Um, it just makes it more challenging. I, and I would have, anticipate with COVID over the last two years, that's been even more so because you don't, you don't have family in the room, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was, um, certainly a necessary step and we understood it, but, um, it's, uh, it was a challenge. It was an extra challenge to have those conversations, build that trust, you know, over a phone call, um, and, um, you know, have, have some of those tough conversations when you can't be face to face. Yeah. Yeah. That that is, Mm -hmm. Something, yes, you, you do because you feel like uh, policy-wise and safety-wise is the right thing. Absolutely. But there are yeah. always consequences to those, those yes. decisions, and uh, uh, they're, they're very, very difficult. I can remember um, we had a park and pray um, at the hospital. This is fairly early in, in the COVID pandemic, and I'm driving by One East, and I'm looking in, and I see a patient's room full. I mean, there mm-hmm. must have been a dozen people in this mm-hmm. room, and it was when we were very strict on no visitors, no visitors, no visitors. Right. And, and I called up uh, <laughs> our leader over that area, and I was just like, "What? What are we doing? I mean, right. this is you know, COVID's rampant. We're we're putting people at risk, that patient at risk, staff at risk, yeah. and da da da. And uh, and if I told you this person, you would you would know exactly this whole picture would come together, mm-hmm. but you probably already do, but. She looked at me and said, you know, Matt, there are sometimes I just want to slap you. 
Yeah. <laughs> she, said, yeah. she proceeded to tell me that it was, a, it was an end of life situation. That patient right. was, you know, not, not doing well. And right. this is their family's last opportunity to be at their bedside. And so, yes. um, it was, uh, it was, it was educational for me. I'll put Understood. it that way. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. I mean, it, it was so hard during those times, I think to, you know, the family or maybe one individual of the family kind of seeing the process yeah. beginning to end as opposed to, you know, really kind of coming in in those last, you know, few moments of time. And that's just so much harder. It's just so crushing, oh. you know, at those times yeah. for those families. So, um, yeah, we, we definitely bent the rules in those situations and, and tried to allow as many well, and, family and, members that, that wanted to be there to and, be there. And, and needed to, you know, I, like we've talked about before on other podcasts about, about COVID, you know, there's, there's science and science changes. Science is better today than it was yesterday and will be better tomorrow than it was today right. and et cetera. Um, you know, policy tends to be rigid. Uh, mm-hmm. so we're, we're science changes with the times, uh, policy tends to be kind of rigid and, um, you have good reason for policy, but sometimes it just doesn't always make sense and needs to be (laughs) molded to uh, a a particular situation or environment. Um, I mean, I, I have elderly parents myself and uh, even within our family, which we have a a great working relationship uh, knowing and keeping up with what's going on with my parents. But there's Mm -hmm. still times where if I'm not there and I don't know, you know, you still wonder, well, what the heck's going on? Right. I can only imagine in a COVID situation that's, Multifold. I'm gonna. Sh- I'm just gonna shoot some questions at you. Okay. Totally okay. at random. You're gonna love this. <laughs> uh, so I. I was wondering what. What are some questions I could get to know you? Questions I could ask. Sure. So of course Google knows all. Oh yeah. Google can solve all kind of uh, problems and questions that you have. So this is a, a from a list of 100 getting to know you questions. Okay. So, so here's one that catches my eye. Um, if you were to sing at karaoke night, what what song would you sing? Oh my goodness! <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is kind of a funny one because uh, I do like to sing. Uh-huh. Uh, oh really? Um, yeah. Well, you and, know, being a church guy, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, and and I grew up, uh, you know, kind of my dad when I was five, six, seven years of age, and my dad's a singer, um, you know, and and he would sing in church, and um, he would bring me up, and I would sing with him. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, in, in front of church, so it'd probably be it'd probably be a Christian song, I think. You know, okay. some type of hymn, something like that. But um, yeah, that's that's funny. My family knows they I sing a lot. I I like to sing. <laughs> I think I'm good at it. They tell me I'm <laughs> decent. Uh, you know, so. Oh. They, well, they're kind to me in that way. I'm sure it's not as good as I think it is. Yeah, I I love I love music. I have no talent at all, but uh. Same. Well, I I've had. I've never played an instrument, or yeah. I can't read music or anything like yeah. that. So, well, staying on the music theme, what two radio stations do you listen to the most, or uh, genre maybe? Yeah, so Christian, so K Life. Uh, what is the one? What's the not K Life? That's yeah. a ministry thing. Uh-huh. Uh, it's ninety six point three. K Love. K Love. There you Thank go. Right. K Love. And then uh, one of uh, our daughters that'll remain name- nameless. She's a big country music fan, uh, so it's always on Kissin' ninety five or you know okay. in, our, in our vehicle when we have the radio on. She her 
her yeah. uh i think on her tombstone it'll be hey can you turn it up that'll be <laughs> that'll be like, <laughs> that'll be like uh-huh. in her eulogy or you yeah. know that's her that's her legacy part of her story yep okay so which would you rather do wash dishes mow the lawn clean the bathroom or vacuum the house um probably wash dishes yeah yeah i would go with that i could do any of those things Shout out yeah. to my mom and dad for teaching me how to do all of how those to do things. Those things, yeah. Um, but yeah, wash dishes. In your role, and I'm sure you can empathize with this. Certainly, I feel this way when when I mow the yard more than anything. It's that feeling like, or or, or dishes or whatever. It is. I've done something. Absolutely, done it. it's buttoned up. I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's it's gone. Absolutely. You know? that, yeah, that, that I is. love that sense of accomplishment. Yeah. with anything and just a, you know, you and I deal so much with fuzzy problems, problems that are, you know, kind of lofty, esoteric, hard to get your brain wrapped around. Yeah. It's totally simple to get out and mow the yard. Like it's a defined (laughs) thing. You know, you can do it. Yeah. Um, So that's satisfying. I like those kinds of things for sure. There is art and science to what we do and the the science you kind of know, but there's art is always there. That's right. Um, Yeah. Um, what uh, do you do? You have a nickname, and if so, would, would you share it or no? <laughs> um, well, my first name's Darren, and you know, kind of grew up. Uh, family just call me D. So D. Okay, that's that's one thing. That's awesome. I guess we would throw out there. All my right. sister would still call me that to this day. So, if you were to go back in time, what year would you go back to? Oh my gosh! Um, well, right now. You know, my, my son's 13 and my nephew is um, 16, almost 16. And they're both playing baseball. My nephew's a little older, so playing high school baseball. And this time of year, like the weather today, like just, yeah. I would just like to be 16 in high school and playing just go back. baseball again. Yeah. You know, yeah. just have that fun. Uh, yeah. That would be really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um. How about uh, pet peeves? Any pet peeves? Um, my residents know this. I'm kind of like a grammar Nazi <laughs> on the on the uh, you know like I really am the grammar police or whatever. Um, so uh, yeah, just like misspelling. One of my huge pet peeves, like with with texting or my kids, is that you know the lack of like capital letters or punctuation or yeah you know any kind of identifying grammatical anything that just i, I yeah. don't know that's your mom coming out in you maybe 100 yeah. percent her yeah. um and you know she would have me proofread papers when i was you know seventh eighth grade um of of yeah. students that are about that same age or a little older even because uh, yeah i just yeah i was all over that and yeah. i like i like that kind of stuff and I'm yeah. a rule follower, so yes. I like, I like yes. that kind of thing. Yes, that, that that is talk about art. That is a lost art. Uh, it seems like these days, for oh, sure. Goodness, it is. <laughs> um, okay, how about uh, if you were on a deserted island? What three things would you take with you? Oh my goodness, that's such a hard one. Um, I think a Bible. Because uh, I think That's I would good. need it, right? If you're uh, on a deserted yeah, island, yeah, I think you know my faith would come in large <laughs> there. Um, hmm. Gosh, I'm I'm gonna say my probably my cell phone. It might not do me any good, but yeah, 
give me a chance play, maybe play games yeah, yeah right I, something yeah um and then you know one of those filters that can filter salt water i'm thinking that would be really important yeah um, since we're talking hypothetical right hypothetically if such a thing existed right that's yeah. probably wise yeah 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 so <laughs> that's Good. like the three least fun answers ever to that question probably <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm glad I'm asking the questions and I have an answer <laughs> myself. I'm not sure how I would answer that one either. Well, Dr. Freeman, thank you so much for spending time with me. I really enjoyed the the visit and uh, uh, always enjoy our opportunity to, to get together and visit. Um, you know, really, like I've said, as as we've had uh, discussions in other podcasts, you know, really what, what makes Conway Regional unique are several things, but our medical staff and the relationships that we have um, have been a real blessing, I think, to uh, me as a leader, to our hospital, uh, and ultimately, uh, primarily to our community. And uh, having people like uh, Dr. Freeman who are engaged and have such a great passion for what they do are a real blessing to us all. So thank you for taking time with me today. Thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. Yeah.